Hello and welcome. You found the Social Work Podcast. My name is Jonathan Singer, and I'll be your host as we explore all things social work. In this episode of the Social Work Podcast, I continue my conversation with the author, Dr. Alan Rubin. We talked about how he came to co-author the most widely used social work research text, Research Methods for Social Work, and about his current book, Practitioner's Guide to Using Research for Evidence-Based Practice. We talked about one of his current research projects, the development of a scale that can be used to evaluate how well social workers are learning evidence-based practice. And we ended our conversation with Alan talking about a series of books he's co-editing with David Springer from the University of Texas at Austin that will have practical how-to chapters on evidence-based approaches to today's most important clinical issues. This podcast is somewhat unique because rather than focusing on a substantive social work topic, I took the opportunity to record a bit of social history for posterity. So without further ado, on to the interview with Dr. Alan Rubin, talking about the birth of the Rubin and Babby research text. How did you come to co-author a best-selling research text? Earl Babby is a sociologist, and uh, he had a best-selling generic social science research text, The Practice of Social Research. And uh, back in the 1980s, a lot of schools of social work were using that as their required research text. There were some others, too, around at that time that were being used. Uh, most of them not being social work research texts, just generic social science or social research texts without the word work in them. Earl Babby contacted a buddy of his who was on our faculty at the time, who was also a sociologist and asked him if he knew of any social work faculty member who knew a lot about research, who could take his book and keep some stuff, throw out some stuff, add some stuff, and so forth to uh, reformulate it and turn it into a book that would be specifically for social work research. It's interesting. So, so Babby was interested in taking his social science, general social science text, even though he's a sociologist, but turning it into a social work research text. Well, not exactly. Okay. He wasn't. He didn't want to abandon his other text. Oh. He his other text is currently in its eleventh edition. I think he's currently working on the twelfth, and it continues to sell well in sociology departments. He recognized that he would lose the social work market because his wasn't particular to social work. So what he wanted to do was have this spinoff that would then be geared specifically to the social work market while he continued to keep his other book. Lou Zerker, the sociologist on our faculty, uh, recommended me at the time, this was 1987, I'd been on our faculty for eight years and uh, been teaching research for, for longer than that and was not real thrilled with the available textbooks and often had little pipe dreams about how I eh, maybe I ought to write my own research textbook. And so when I was contacted with the notion of turning Babby's book 
uh, into a social work research textbook uh, by the publishing company, I thought, hey, that's good, because I was guaranteed that it would be published. Uh, <laughs> I didn't have to, like, write a proposal and, and, and try to find some publishing company to accept it. The publishing company came to me, and they said, Babby, we want you to do this. The publication is a fait accompli, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It already has a market out there. The people that use Babby's book, you already know you're going to sell copies. And it's just a question of improving it and maintaining and improving the market share. So that was a pretty, that was an offer I couldn't refuse. I took Babby's book and went from there and uh, turned it into a social work research test. That's fascinating. I had no idea that's how that happened. Um, my, my question came in part from being in the library a couple of weeks ago, and I saw that there was a, 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 a research text by a guy named Babby. Yeah. And um, I think it was from the late 80s, and it looked almost exactly like the second edition of the Reuben and Babby I used when I got my MSW. And I thought, wow, I wonder if there's a story behind this. So I appreciate you sharing that. Yeah, that's the story. And the deal that we have is that I do all the work on the uh, social work version. Babby, uh, he, he helps me out a little bit occasionally. I'll email him and say, hey, do you know anything about this or that? Uh, or, you know, I want to say this stuff about postmodernism. Can you live with it? And we usually have big debates about that. But uh, so our, our book uh, is in its sixth edition right now. And, and, and with each new edition, uh, there's more and more of my stuff and less and less of Babby's original stuff. Okay. Well, that's really interesting. When I see books that have two authors' names, I always imagine them sitting together and, you know, saying, what should we do now? But it sounds like it's, 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 it's a slightly different uh, experience for the, for the co-authoring of that text. Absolutely. Now, you've mentioned a bunch of stuff uh, having to do with evidence-based practice, and I know that you have a, a new book out on evidence-based practice. And I was wondering if, if you could tell us a little bit about that book, but also maybe share with us what some of your current projects are. Okay. The name of that book is uh, Practitioner's Guide to Using Research for Evidence-Based Practice. And basically what I've done is I've written it for students who are not going to do research, but are who need to know how to search for and critically appraise research as part of the evidence-based practice process, as I described earlier in this interview. And you might recall some of the emphases I had back then about measurement and, and internal validity and so forth. And so I, I've written the book from that standpoint, including the, the final stage of evidence-based practice, you know, how do you, how do you monitor the uh, outcome of what you've done? So it's basically uh, research methods for the BSW or MSW practitioner that's not going to do research, but, but that needs to to know how to appraise it, to find and appraise it, to guide their practice. The other question, the part of your question was, what are my current projects? Is that right? Yes, that's correct. Recently, with the collaboration of a doctoral student, uh, uh, who's my research assistant, Danielle Parrish, uh, have developed a scale to assess views about the evidence-based practice process. It's a five-part scale. Part one is uh, how familiar 
uh, respondents are with evidence-based practice. Part two is their attitudes about evidence-based practice. But part three is whether they think it'll be feasible for them to engage in the evidence-based practice process. Part four is their intentions to engage in it. And part five is how often they currently do engage in, 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 in the process. It's 51 item scale. And we are surveying students and practitioners in Texas, New York, Toronto, and St. Louis um, to evaluate the reliability and validity of the scale. Our preliminary data look very good and we feel that the scale is, is going to be useful for people that want to evaluate the effectiveness of continuing education training workshops in evidence-based practice for schools of social work who are emphasizing evidence-based practice in their curriculum to, to evaluate the, the outcomes of their curriculum or to evaluate the effectiveness of, of various courses on evidence-based practice and thirdly, to do research to assess correlates uh, and factors that predict and correlate practitioner views and use of evidence-based practice. Um, I'm, I'm also currently um, collaborating with David Springer uh, on an evidence-based practice related series on evidence-based practice for different populations. Uh, we've currently got two volumes in process. Uh, one is on the treatment of trauma, and the other is on the treatment of substance abuse. David is spearheading the substance abuse volume, and I'm spearheading the trauma volume. And the idea is to have chapters that are going to be approximately 70 printed pages long that practitioners can read to get them started on actually implementing some treatment approach that has been established uh, as, as an evidence-based practice. For trauma, for example, there will be a chapter on prolonged exposure therapy, on trauma-focused cognitive behavioral therapy, on EMDR, and so forth. And the idea is that each chapter uh, made it very clear to the people that we've recruited to write these chapters to our experienced practitioners in these evidence-based practices that they are not to get into the scholarly stuff, they're not sound academic, they're not to mention the research. They are, each chapter should be a detailed how-to guide for practitioners who may have learned that, oh, prolonged exposure therapy is the most effective way to treat uh, rape victims. Um, I'd like to do that. Uh, what can I read that I've got time to read that'll get me started? Well, here will be a 70-page chapter that they could read that would be just user-friendly and practitioner-oriented, taking them through the steps using case illustrations and so forth. So each chapter will be something that will already have been established as evidence-based so that the practitioner doesn't have to go out and go through all the steps of the evidence-based practice process themselves. Or maybe they went through that process and they decided, oh, I'd like to do that, but I don't know how. Well, here's a book that will be a practitioner oriented that will help them uh, do that. And then uh, in the, uh, I'll be writing the appendix and David will be writing the appendix for the one he's spearheading where we uh, summarize the research. So if the, if the practitioner wants, you know, wonders, gee, you know, they're telling me to do this, what's the research? 
So I want you to go to the appendix and, and see a summary of all the studies that have supported the stuff that, that they're reading about. Those sound like fabulous projects. Um, if someone were interested in the scale that you are developing, is that something that they'll have to wait on until it gets published, or should they contact you if they have a class that they're teaching that they're thinking, wow, I'd really like to evaluate? Or They should contact me immediately. We'll send them a scale immediately. We would ask that they share their data with us. One of the ways you assess whether a scale is working is whether it can act. If it's really valid in detecting evidence-based practice stuff, then it should show improvement from pretest to post-test. Uh, if you read my book, you'll see that the term for that is called sensitivity. Is it sensitive to, 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 to changes? So I've already sent it off to two colleagues that are doing that, um, that are, um, are going to be using it to, as pre- and post-tests with their evidence-based practice research classes. And yeah, uh, you don't have to wait for, for it to appear in print. I'll be glad to, uh, to, to send it on now immediately um, with with that understanding, also, um, we're, we're going to try to get the thing, the preliminary data that we're collecting. We're, we're not going to wait to get all the data. We've got, uh, we think, enough preliminary data collected already that we're, in, we're embarking right now on writing up an article on the preliminary data so that the field can see that, hear about this scale now while we wait for more data to come in on it, because the preliminary data look very good in terms of the skills, reliability, and validity. As someone who thinks of himself as a you know, practitioner first, um, the, the series that you and David Springer are working on sounds like something that I've been wanting to see in social work for, for years, something that is user-friendly, that um, explains things without a bunch of jargon, but also you know, has has weight behind it in terms of the research. And so I think that's great. I, I look forward to, to that coming out. I think that'll be a wonderful addition to the, the, the social work library. Thanks. And as I said, it's a series of volumes. These are the first two. We're going to go on from there. Schizophrenia. Schizophrenia certainly comes first to mind, but there will be other areas where there's a solid uh, evidence base for, for various interventions um, and so we're going to have future volumes, and um, maybe you'd like to author one of the chapters in those future volumes. <laughs> well, thank you. I, I think we'll have to continue this conversation offline <laughs> about that. So. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, um, well, I just want to thank you so much for taking the time to talk, and, uh, talk with us today about social work and research. I know that I've really enjoyed this conversation, I suspect, uh, so of our listeners. So thanks so much for, for, for doing this today. My pleasure. Thank you. I'm Jonathan Singer, and thanks for being with me today for another episode of the Social Work Podcast. If you missed an episode or have suggestions for future episodes, please visit socialworkpodcast.com. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit our online store at cafepress.com slash swpodcast. To all the social workers out there, keep up the good work. We'll see you next time at the Social Work Podcast.